You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lisko, along with your host, James Rapine. Today, we cover some of the news. The Bengals made a waiver claim, and there's some new vaccine guidelines from the NFL. On top of that, the Bengals announced their inaugural class of the Ring of Honor is complete. And then we get into the weekend mailbag because it's still the offseason, which means we're still taking your questions on the weekend. In case you'd like to participate in future weekend mailbags, we do a tweet on Thursday mornings from the Locked On Bengals Twitter account. You respond to that tweet with your questions, and then we go through and answer as many of the good ones as we can every week. Let's get started with the Ring of Honor, James. The Bengals announced today that the two Kens, Ken Anderson and Ken Riley, join Anthony Munoz and Paul Brown in the inaugural Ring of Honor. Just as everyone has really kind of been clamoring for, this comes as no surprise, but I guess a hat tip to the fans. I think they got it right. Good job. Very excited to see this come together in week four when I'm in Cincinnati. Yeah, that was my pick on, on Thursday when uh, I went solo there. And obviously we had talked about it in the past and we both thought the two Ken should be in. So they got it right. I think it's going to be fun to eventually talk about who could go in next year because there's going to be, I think, more debate then than there was this year. But uh, I'm happy for Ken Anderson, of course, and then Ken Riley and his family, right? Ken Riley the second, Ken Riley the third, that they – they got to celebrate that. I, I know it's uh, a few years too late, uh, to say the least, but uh, I'm really happy to see Ken Riley in the, the Bengals Ring of Honor. Yeah, it's good stuff. And Elizabeth Blackburn did clarify that everyone on the inaugural ballot for the Ring of Honor will remain on the ballot going forward. The Bengals, in addition to honoring their past today, made a move that may have some sort of impact on the future, and that is the waiver claim of Lamont Gilliard. The former Arizona Cardinals center, former Georgia Bulldog center. He was a sixth round pick in 2019. He was waived on Wednesday this week and claimed the next day on Thursday by the Cincinnati Bengals. This is a guy that was a Brandon Thorne draft crush. You might know Brandon Thorne for all of the times we talked about his opinions of offensive linemen in the pre-draft process. He's also been on this show before. We had a draftable grade on Lamont Gilliard two years ago when he came into the draft. Probably thought fifth, sixth round was about right for him. He actually started two games for the Cardinals last year. Started in week two, week three. Didn't have such a hot week three against Detroit, according to Pro Football Focus's scores. But overall had 217 snaps at center for the Cardinals and has a fair bit of NFL experience. So that's a good thing for a team that clearly feels that it needs some depth there in the interior offensive line. They did lose, of course, in case you've forgotten Hakeem Adeniji, at least for likely most of the year, if not all the year, with that pectoral tear. So if they had any plans on him kicking inside at any point, he will not be available for that. So a nice move here for depth in camp competition. That's exactly right. I think that's what this is. You're talking about a guy in Trey Hopkins. We don't know how available he's going to be you know he might be on one day off a day and if that's the case you need centers billy price has an injury history trey hill's a rookie a sixth rounder you're not banking on that so uh you bring in another experienced lineman and we've talked about this jake we knew they were going to bring someone in with some sort of experience 
And in this case, it was someone that happened to get released on on Wednesday. And uh, we'll see if he makes an impact or if he, if he makes the team. But it's all about depth, all about having bodies that can snap the ball to number nine. I think there is fair buzz around a guy like this is probably camp competition. He he does have a chance of making the team, though, and some really smart people like him as an offensive lineman. He's somewhat limited athletically, but he has good enough size and he's a really fun player to watch, according to Brandon Thorne. So I'm excited to go see what I can find on Lamont Gilliard when I have some time. Last bit of news today, James, the NFL essentially telling its players get vaccinated. The the penalties at this point, they've gone from, okay, we'll incentivize it. You know, you can socialize, you can live your normal NFL superstar life if you get vaccinated. You don't have to get tested as much to now they're saying, look, if, if you don't get vaccinated and there's a, a breakout among unvaccinated players on a team and we have to cancel a game, no one gets paid. And you talk about a, a Sophie's choice for any of these players that have legitimate or illegitimate concerns, whatever it is, that don't want to get this vaccine. The NFL is, without saying this is mandatory, essentially saying it's mandatory. Yep. And that's what they've done with reporters, by the way. Right. And so, look, I I know there's debate out there and there are some NFL players. You mentioned it to me. I didn't even see it before we started recording. But DJ Reader, not happy. DeAndre Hopkins, most notably, uh, not happy about the news. We know what Joe Mixon said in the past, Cole Beasley. I mean, there's just a lot of NFL players that question the vaccine or question the motives behind it. And look, of course, there's a money factor here about rescheduling games and not wanting to do that. And, uh, you know, making teams forfeit to try to get as many players vaccinated as possible. Absolutely. There is, Uh, you know, there's a reason why I'm not going to be allowed in the locker room this year at all, probably. And it's because even though I'm vaccinated, because they're trying to protect the players. And so they they feel like getting the players vaccinated is the best way to, to prevent a COVID-19 spread like we saw in multiple games last year. So I get it. I also understand that, uh, you know, not everybody's going to be happy about that. And that's just that's usually what happens when you have new rules or groundbreaking rules or, or rules that, uh, you know, are going to be a little controversial. So I, I expected that when the NFL news came down. And I'm also not shocked that the NFL wants every player to get vaccinated and is trying to, without saying it, say it, uh, to tell all of their players on, on all 32 teams that it's time to get the shot. Yeah, DJ Reader's initial reaction is talk about getting your hand forced. And he went on to reply to a number of people that were in his mentions. And he said, look, I'm fully vaccinated. I just don't like the way they're going about doing this. I don't like the fact that my pay is threatened. And and maybe this isn't exactly his point, but I think that a lot of players are looking at this and saying, okay, if a team like Arizona, and I'm picking on Arizona here because they have a less than 50% vaccination rate in Arizona. They're one of the teams that was in the news on Thursday. If they have an outbreak among their unvaccinated players and it leads to a game getting canceled, their opponent also doesn't get a game check that week. So it's not just your teammates. You can affect the other team. Not only do you forfeit a game, you forfeit pay and your opponent loses pay. I can understand players being upset about that part because that's not even something they can control. But I think a lot of this is also vaccine related directly. I I think that there just seems to be a lot of confusion, a lot of opinions around these vaccines. But the NFL has made their stance pretty clear at this point. And it's been building to this. I think for the last few months, it's 
There's a vaccine available. It looks like it's pretty safe. According to the data we have, we think that you should get it. We think it's going to protect our bottom line as a league. And we think it's going to protect you as players. And if you don't get it at this point, well, there are some very dire consequences. Coming up next, James, let's dive on in to the weekend mailbag with training camp opening up in just a few days. You heard me talk to Jacquez Patrick about lifting, about squatting, and my man can squat, squat, squat. He said five bills, rep it out. While I'm not there yet, I hope to be, and Built Bar is going to help me get there. Heck, it's probably helping Mr. Patrick get there. Built Bars are the number one protein bars on the planet. They have nine different flavors, plus the occasional limited time flavor. There is something for everyone So make sure you check out the official protein bar of the U.S. track and field team and go to BuiltBar.com right now. When you're there, use promo code LOCK15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. Again, use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. All right, James, let's dive into these mailbag questions. The first one this week comes from T Bannister at T Bannister 808 on Twitter. He would like to know what our thoughts are on the butterfly effect in football. T Bannister believes that if it isn't OPI on AJ in week one, everything would have been different. AJ and the team's swag would have been sky high, rocketing from the jump, and the whole season would play out differently. Do you agree? I think it would have felt different for sure, because that would have been that last second win. A.J. Green would have had confidence that he didn't have, you know, Burrow but he leads this amazing comeback. I mean, that would have been one of the biggest storylines of week one last year. The fact that he throws that ugly interception and then finds a way to drag his team downfield against a more talented Chargers team. Let's be honest here. So, yeah, I, I think it could have changed it some. Now, would that win have been enough to get them to the playoffs or would that win have been enough to fix the guard play? No. I mean, Xavier Suofila had already gotten injured when we were at that point, but could it have, have changed, you know, green struggles, the, the way the offense didn't click right away as much, you know, I mean, cause they were really inefficient. Uh, the, the second week, you know, bro completed 37 passes, I think for 316 yards or something insane and threw 61 in, in that Thursday night game. What would it have felt a little different? I, I think so. So, there would be some butterfly effect to it. Yeah, I don't know. It would have been a minor kind of deal, I think. I don't think it would have necessarily meant different wins or losses. It would have meant one more win, certainly. And maybe it means AJ stays a little bit more engaged. But we did see AJ have a nice game in the middle of the season and then go back to being off that cliff that he unfortunately found the edge of last season. I I don't know. I, I think that a lot of times in football, week one results are overrated and it's something that I'll be cautioning about this year like hey don't overreact this week it's one game of football this is the rustiest game of football in fact that will be played all year because they're coming off of I mean they'll have a preseason this year at least but a lot of the times you know you see with the Browns last year they they come out look like absolute trash in week one Kevin Stefanski makes massive adjustments they figure out their offense pretty quick and then end up being a pretty solid team last year. So you see some of that, you see it go the other way too. So week one results, I I don't know if I fully buy into the butterfly effect there, but I I do think that some things at least would have been different. Certainly the feeling in the locker room could have been very different. And Jamar Chase wouldn't be a Bengal. So there you go. You want to talk about the butterfly effect that could certainly impact it 
there. But uh, who knows? We'll see if it uh, worked out because if Chase ends up being the next A.J. Green or Chad Johnson, then uh, it worked out for the better going the way it did. Next question comes from Alan Hollinger. He says, now that we only have three preseason games, how will the Bengals use them? Do you think game two will become the, quote, dress rehearsal game and game three is the meaningless practice squad scrimmage? <laughs> Man, meaningless is harsh, Alan. These are men trying to fight for for their their livelihood. They're, they're what, 27 people, 25 to 27 people to get cut in that game and only so much room for them on practice squads. That's not quite meaningful. I'm just giving you a hard time. Obviously it is essentially a tryout game for the guys that are on the fringes of the roster on the fringes of the practice squad. And I think that that is probably what a lot of teams will do. I I, I do wonder though, like you're, you're definitely not going to see a lot of starters in my opinion, play a whole lot of game three just because it's a week before the regular season. And just like it used to be, you want to rest those guys, make sure they get there healthy. And there's no real reason to put them on the field at that point. That being said, I do wonder how much of a game two dress rehearsal we'll see. The trend in the NFL has been to go away from dress rehearsals in the last few years. We're seeing less and less of an emphasis of getting starters playing time in the preseason. And for the Bengals specifically this year, there's still a big question as to whether or not Joe Burrow is going to play at all. And if Joe Burrow doesn't play, you know, obviously you want to get the rookies out there. You want to get the offensive line out there. So they have some time to build cohesion, but then you wonder how much anybody else is going to play as well. Does Joe Burrow take a snap in the preseason? Yes or no? Well, I don't know. Maybe we'll have some more information about that to talk about on Sunday, James. Yeah, maybe we will. How about that? There's a that's a tease, is what they call it in the industry. Look at Jake teasing what is to to come uh, next uh, next week. I guess technically, if you're listening on Friday, anyways. Um, yeah, I think there will be. Look, game two is going to be the game where most of these guys play the most. Game one is like kind of a break in game. Game two will be that. But I, I don't know how many of these starters you're going to see in general. Like, does Tyler Boyd really need to? play in the preseason maybe no, you give him six six routes and that's it but he doesn't need to do much uh joe mixon do you want him to play in the preseason i don't know maybe he wants a couple carries to get going and i think he'll, he'll play a little but not a lot and that's that's the thing is these three games i think it's going to be more about chris evans right and, and jacques patrick who i asked about the preseason and the importance of it and uh guys like that that are battling for our roster spot all the rookies, really. Jackson Carmen, the newcomer, Riley Reef. I would like him to be out there with the full offensive line, at least for, you know, a few series so that they can get used to playing with each other in a live contact situation. Jamar Chase, I, I wouldn't be mad at seeing him out there for a few quarters if if that is what he's ready to do, if that's what the situation calls for, because as good as we think he is, he's a rookie. Getting him exposure against other NFL level athletes, NFL level corners can only be good for his development. Our next question comes from Brian at B Artbo on Twitter. Welcome back to the mailbag, Brian. The buzz around this team this offseason has been unreal, writes Brian. From Joe Burrow's comeback to the reunion of one of the most dynamic duos in the history of college football, how much grace or leeway do you think this has bought the team in terms of winning games on the field? Zero. None. Absolutely none. It's about winning games, Brian. Come on, Brian. And I think you feel that way, too. I think you were just uh, tr trying to test us here. No, it's about winning. Hey, what did Herm Edwards say? You play to win the game. 
it sounds good. All this stuff sounds good. Burrow to Chase. The reason I was team Chase is because I think it's going to help them win sooner and, and, and for a long time. And we'll see if that's the case. But yeah, I think there is no leeway. Not when you go 625 and one, right? 411 and one in a season where if Burrow stays healthy, they probably win a couple more games. Like they, they have to win games. They have to show that they're moving in the right direction. And going from two wins to four wins isn't enough. Like going from four wins to six wins, that's not enough. Got to take a leap here, uh, a little bit of a leap. That's that's my expectation. I think that should be the standard. And uh, given all the moves that they've made, I think that should be the the expectation for the fans as well. Yeah, I don't think this buys leeway. I think if anything, it adds pressure. You know, I think it does the opposite. Like people are really excited right now. If you get people really stoked for something and and then that something is ripped away or doesn't happen, they're going to be more upset than if their expectations were low and then their low expectations were met. Yeah, I, I don't think that it's buying leeway. I think it's doing the opposite, James. Next question comes from Robbie at RobBobUK5. Which Bengals player do you think will have the best pregame attire as they walk into the stadium for game day? A lot of men on this team with some serious style. Well, this question obviously comes down to who is going to give Joe Burrow a run for his money with those custom suits and those new teeth, those new teeth, especially, I mean, that that's some work to do. I think T Higgins is going to try. I think we don't have Carlos Dunlap anymore. I mean, he used to be one of the guys that I think dressed pretty well. It's going to be interesting to see who puts Joe Burrow on notice as far as it comes to how they dress when they come into the stadium. Also, I just want to point out, James, I'm, I'm a little entertained. I had to click on Robbie's name to see which UK he meant because of all the Bengals, UK, United Kingdom fans, and also all of the uh, Bengals fans that are also University of Kentucky fans. I wasn't sure which UK it was. This one is Kentucky. And Robbie can run too. So if the Bengals need you know that sprinter speed, Robbie's got it. But yeah, I think, I, I think Burrow's the favorite. But Jamar Chase, I mean, he had some sneaky style on draft night. I think he's going to bring it a little bit, too. And, and that's what I would expect, right? The, the receivers, Higgins and Chase, Burrow. And then, you know what? Big man Tyler Shelvin, let's see what you got. I would love for one of these big men to really go at it. One of these big linemen, maybe, to uh, to, to try to be the best dressed. I, I would love that. How fun would that be? Yeah, I think it'd be good. And I think that we'll actually see that from some of them. Like, I feel like there are a lot of guys on this team that like to go with that real nice suit look. And it's always fun. It's always fun. But as uh, Brian's question illustrated, James, really all comes down to that bottom line, those W's. And, uh, you know, we'll see what they wear pregame and then we'll judge them on what they do on the football field. Coming up next, we wrap up this week's mailbag with a few more questions. The weekend mailbag rolls on with Coach K all day 10. He asks, do highlights of last season's offense give confidence that the offensive coaching staff can maximize the potential of our offensive weapons? I don't think I'm relying on highlights to figure out whether I think this offense is going to bounce back. I'm relying on what I know about this coaching staff, what I know about Joe Burrow, what I know about the offensive line and what I know about the skill players on the offense. And, well, I do think that there are a lot of pieces that can make a very potent offense. And I do think that the coaches have a pretty good idea of what they're doing. I, I do think that Zach Taylor, Brian Callahan can put together an offense that's very effective in the NFL. I, I also think sometimes it's not necessarily 
you know, the plays or the concepts, but it's the execution, which sometimes does go back to the coaches too, right? And you've heard Brian Callahan on this podcast in the past talk about, you know, we're going to spend a lot of time this offseason now that the system has been in place for a couple of years, really focusing on the details. And one of those things that we talked to him about were pick plays. So ironing out some of those little things will help a lot, I think. Getting a, a run scheme that Joe Mixon is really comfortable in will also help a lot. So there are reasons to think that the coaching staff can maximize the potential. But, you know, there's also reasons to think this is a team that hasn't won many games. And so like many Bengals fans, I'm very much in a let's prove it. I know what potential you have, but let's prove it. Let's actually do the thing instead of just thinking we can do the thing. So there are three ways you know, barring some crazy injuries that we can't predict, right? That the offense isn't as good as it should be. One, Joe Burrow isn't 100% healthy. The offensive line stinks and makes Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan have one hand tied behind their back, which was the case at times last season. It certainly impacted their game plan. Or three, the coaching isn't good enough. I think they have the talent at the skill spots. I do. I think they have the quarterback. I think they have, the, and that, that's not really a take. It's just kind of reality with all the, uh, everything they've invested in these guys. I mean, you're talking big time dollars, you know, big time draft picks, either first or second rounders. So to me, those are the three things that could potentially derail the offense. So yeah, I, I think it's fair to to question the coaching staff. At the same time, I would not be shocked at all if they have success because I think any, really any competent offensive staff would do pretty well, assuming the offensive line, it's a big assumption, is a, uh, an average line in assuming Joe Burrow is 100% healthy when the season starts and is able to play 17 games. Aren't you excited, James, to be talking about training camp instead of these hypotheticals in, you know, <laughs> the, the very, very near future? Our next question comes from Dave Sizemore at Dave Sizemore on Twitter. With the announcement of the Ring of Honor, which current Bengal has the best chance of making the Ring of Honor one day? This is good. This is good because you're debating a, a few guys here and there aren't many pro bowlers. Like what pro bowler are you talking about right now? I mean, this is tough. This is a tough question. I mean, you could go with Tyler Boyd, right? You could go with a guy like Jesse Bates, who's younger. Obviously, Burrow is someone that you could throw out there, but I think it's hard. I think that's going to be hard to do. I and mean, he could be successful and still be on the outside looking in like a lot of these guys could be. Kevin Huber? Is that a cop out? That's probably a cop out. Um, I'm thinking. I'm thinking, Jake. Don't don't give me the stink eye. I think. I guess I would. Man, can you just go with the potential and say Jamar Chase? He can't do that either because it's he's a rookie. We haven't seen him. I, I would say probably T. Higgins. He's almost got a thousand yards already. He's 22. So he did that at his age 21 season. Tyler Boyd only has two 1,000 yard seasons. He's 26. So we could be talking about Higgins being a you know a two-time Pro Bowler by the time he's 26, and that's probably what the Bengals are hoping for, right? So I'd probably go with T. Higgins. It's close, though, because there's just a lot of unknown factors at this stage. Yeah, that's real interesting. Uh, it would take a big step for T, I think, to, to get there. I think Kevin Huber might have been an okay answer. I mean, he's been with the team for so long. My answer isn't a player. If I had to pick a player, I might lean Jesse Bates' direction, but – Defense is so volatile year to year that that's even hard. But I would go Darren Simmons, James. Darren Simmons is the guy that's been with this team through multiple regimes and has continued to work his way up and, and consistently coaches 
really strong special teams unit. So out of all the guys on this current Bengals staff and roster, that that was my very first thought when I read this question. Hey, it's a good one, uh, especially because, look, if things go awry this season, Darren Simmons will be one of the the top candidates. I'm just throwing that out there. I would be shocked if he wasn't. Um, you know, I, obviously he interviewed uh, when when Marvin left in 2019. So, yeah, we'll see. But uh, yeah, he's been with the team a long, long time. And if you had to point out one coach who consistently gets the most out of his his group that he coaches, I think it would be Darren Simmons. So that's uh, that's a pretty good answer. Thank you, James. That's uh, that's very kind of you to say. The last question I'm going to ask you specifically, because I think you're in a better place to answer this than I am. A few people asked if we're going to get additional information about the Bengals vaccine rate, whether they hit that 85 percent mark. I am also curious about whether we're whether we are going to get this information, but also it seems like the NFL wants teams to be well north of that 85 percent mark, to be honest. For sure. There's no doubt it feels that way. And it's not something I know as of right now where the Bengals are. Obviously, we know at the end of minicamp, one of the reasons minicamp was cut short was because so many players are willing to get vaccinated. And it was kind of a way to to give players time while they were still in town to get their first or second dose. Uh, that being said, I don't know the exact percentage. And I think that's something that we'll certainly ask Zach Taylor next week. And uh, I, I know the the vaccine, COVID-19, that's going to be one of the big topics on Monday. And then as camp starts, and it could be, I hope it's not. I hope it's not a big topic after that, and, and we can kind of get past the pandemic. But I, I think it's something that's going to linger all season long. I'm very excited for football, James. I'm very excited for the proximity of training camp. And I really hope that COVID and vaccine drama doesn't get in the way of us all enjoying this thing that brings us all together here in the wonderful world of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. That is going to do it for this episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. However, the next time you hear from us, will it be training camp time, James? It'll be damn close there, Mr. Lisko. Just a couple of days away. And so to tide you over, we've got a very special guest coming your way for Sunday's show, Sunday night, Monday morning, whenever you listen to the podcast, make sure you come back and check that one out. I think you're going to like it. Until next time, Bengals fans, who day? And have a good one.